it's Dr. Stu's Podcast uh, with me, Dr. Stuart Fishbein. Happy New Year to all of you. This is podcast number 123. It's the first podcast of 2018. We're happy to have you with us uh, listening either on iTunes or Facebook or uh, com. Find us there. Give us five stars. Like us. Spread us around. You know, do whatever you like to do with us. <laughs> Send us comments at askdrstew at gmail.com. That's askdrstu at gmail.com. And I'm here with my uh, protege, as always, Britt Bliss Young. Hello. And Bliss, you can reach at? Bliss, <laughs> birthingbliss.com. And how do you spell that? B-L-Y-S-S, because I'm special. That's right. Welcome, That's right. Bliss. Uh, happy New Year Thanks. to you. Thanks, and to you. Did you have a good New Year's? Um, it was really chill. Chill. Yeah. Chill New Year's are great. Yeah, I kind of stayed in. I played um, Cards Against Humanity with my boys, which is totally inappropriate, but we laughed a lot. (laughs) (laughs) You ever played that game? No. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's totally inappropriate. Oh, I never heard of it. Is it like a politically incorrect game? Um, you'll love it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, then I'll really love it. All right. Well, where's, all, where's my New Year's, where's my Christmas gift? Come on my, over and play inappropriately yeah. with my boys. Well, ha- <laughs> happy New Year. Let's make 2018 a good year. It's going to be a good year, actually. I can feel it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I can too. Mm-hmm. I can think that all, you know, everything is two steps forward, one step backward, but I think that there's going to be some forward steps this year. Yeah. Um, you know, the powers that be are still out there. I, I uh, heard recently that, um, that the Hungarian physician who's been uh, in house arrest and all that stuff that Hermine Hayes Klein worked on yeah. uh, with, a, uh, with the European Court of Human Rights, uh, her her appeal was denied and she was sent back to prison for two years. Wow. I don't know the details. We'll do that on a future podcast when I get more details. Maybe I'll even have Hermine uh, come on remotely or something to talk about it because it's a, it's a, a sad thing. All she was trying to do is give women choices and, and her outcomes are better than the outcomes of women, you know, c- uh, similar women in the hospital setting in Hungary. Well, very, very happens, rigid system. Happens with midwives all the time. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And this one's a physician, though. Yeah, I mean, it's even you know. So it's a it it's a bigger deal because you know she's a, a a physician doing what she's trained to do, and because she wasn't doing it in the setting that the gov- the organized medicine wanted her to have be in, she ended up. Uh, Getting put in jail, which is bad enough. I mean, getting getting your license revoked for ten years and that sort of thing is bad enough. But being put in jail, yeah, is awful. Yeah. Uh, anyway, on a more positive note, since we just <laughs> that was a negative thing, but there's going to be some positive <laughs> things happening. Uh, you know, home birth is growing. I believe it is. I think that the more it grows, the more desperate you see um, people who are anti home birth get, and we saw that a few years ago uh, with uh, some of the publications out of Cornell. And recently, uh, uh, one of my listeners, uh, Carolyn from Michigan, sent me a a um, handout that's given by her local hospital to women on their tour when they do their prenatal tour at the hospital. Um, is that uh, it's a handout called "Are You Thinking About Planned Home Birth?" Hmm. And they don't have any references on it whatsoever. And they say things like, although the overall risk may be low, a planned home birth is associated with a threatened increased risk of death mm. of a baby within the first 28 days of life. The risk of neonatal seizures is, or serious neurologic dysfunction is increased sixfold in a planned home birth. Wow. Okay. Now, I'm an expert in planned home birth, and I see these kinds of things, and, you, and you'd like to be able to go to these people and say, okay, where did you get this information? But to put something out like this in the hospitals touring birth packet 
right? They must it's, be feeling the pressures. They've got to be because mm-hmm. be, because first of all, you you should never put something out like this without references, right? All right, but they put references. Um, uh, you know, if it, if it was legitimate, they would put references. So it's just it's very very annoying to me that we still have to fight these battles when there's enough evidence in the literature to say that home birth for properly selected women uh, is a very reasonable choice for them. And as medical ethics dictates, a reasonable choice means that we as physicians should honor that choice. And honoring mean could be mean we support it, like there's some midwives over there, why don't you go interview with them? Or we could say, I don't do this or whatever, but but somebody else does, or I'll help you do this, or I'll co-care with you, co-manage your care with you because I, I respect your decision. That's just not happening. And then we have really the, the, some of the dumber things that I heard a really dumb thing last week when I was at a, I did a, a, assisted with a VBAC on Christmas Day in Santa Barbara. One of the stories that the midwives told, and she said, this is, not, this is verbatim, this is not something hearsay or secondhand. She heard one of the physicians there say that delayed cord clamping should only be for one minute or less because after one minute, blood starts flowing back out of the baby into the placenta. <laughs> yeah, you've talked about this one before. Yeah, I don't think I've talked about it on, on, the, podcast on the podcast before yeah. because I don't think we've done one since Christmas Day. Yeah. So, yeah, and I no, don't... No, I mean just the, the, the idea that that happens, that the blood would flow out of the baby and back to the placenta. We and have, why at yeah. one minute? I yeah. Mean, <laughs> you know, one minute is like another one of these these numbers that they come up with, like 42 weeks or age 35. They just come up with these numbers that that really have no relevance to the individual. Mm-hmm. Some cords, yeah, they're done pulsating at 30 seconds. And some cords will pulsate for 20 minutes. Yeah. Right? And the blood isn't flowing backwards out of the baby. Well, I, you know, I always go back to if, if our bodies didn't work biologically, if birth wasn't designed to happen with no one else around, then we would have died off as a species. We, <laughs> w- birth happened long before medicine came on board. So yes, there was a percentage of women that died and medicine is helping limit that. But the majority of people, it's supposed to work. So why would the why would that be true? Why would you have to cut and clamp the cord within a certain amount of time if biologically it was going to kill the baby? That just makes absolutely no sense. So for me, you just keep going back, keep taking you know the technology out of it, and look at like what makes sense as a species, and that just absolutely doesn't doesn't jive. Yeah. Why Why is it that it's so simple for you and me? <laughs> and why is it so difficult for people who are indoctrinated into a whole other way of thinking? That is the story. Yeah, That's that a is the question of our lifetime, you and I. So anyway, every year um, I look back at my year. So now that we're in 2018, I look back at 2017. And I sort of wanted to do like a little recap show today, a little bit about mm-hmm. the things that happened uh, to our practice last year. You can talk about you started your business last year. Mm-hmm. We could talk about um, some of the statistics from uh, Birthing Instincts last year, uh, some of the travels that I did or maybe that you did. Uh, and I, I think that it, I, I, I think this is it's a good time to get r- retrospective so that then we can look forward to what we might be doing in 2018. Right. So last year was a good year. And I actually have, I have some numbers here. I compared it to the year before. And I, my volume was slightly down last year uh, as far as the number of births that I did. But I also... Um, saw a lot more complicated stuff this year. Mm-hmm. It seems like the midwives locally for me are getting more confident in dealing with some of the 
things like VBAC and other things. I have f- far fewer VBACs in my own practice this year, yet I did over 20 or 30 clearance letters uh, for midwives who wanted to do VBAC. Now, in California, VBAC is not, is, is, is not banned or not, not restricted um, by law, but there's, it's very gray. So a lot of the midwives in California will send me a consult saying that, approving that this person is a good, good candidate, candidate for a VBAC. And do you th- do you agree that we as midwives in California should be doing that? No. Okay. Of course not. Because <laughs> I'm not. No. <laughs> no, we, of course not. I mean, uh, VBACs are, there's nothing about a previous cesarean section unless it's a classical cesarean section that should limit a woman from trying to have a vaginal delivery. It's supported in the ACOG guidelines on VBAC. Obviously, they don't like home birth anyway, so they say all VBAC should be done in the hospital. Right. But that's just simply because they say all births should be done in the hospital. It's not, <laughs> it's not something that's unique. And, uh, and our experience is that the, the success rate for a, for a VBAC is higher out of the hospital. It's much higher. Yeah. I mean, looking at the MANA stats, looking at my own statistics, it's over 90% the success rate of VBAC out of the hospital. And the same cohort of women, and we're not talking about women with multiple VBACs or I mean, multiple C-sections or other medical problems related to it. If you just took the same cohort of women, the C-section rate is over 20% with those people. So it's two to three times higher simply by the model by which they're cared for in the hospital setting. Yeah. But that doesn't seem to matter. Uh, again, data that is not supportive to the hospital model is ignored. Yep. And data that is not supportive to the home birth model is emphasized. And that's just the way, you know, we have to live in that world until more and more consumers wake up and start demanding things, which they are doing. And that's why I think 2018 has the promise of being a good year. I think there's going to be a lot of um, pushback. Yeah. Well, I was just telling someone, they were like, I don't remember what they were saying, but I said, you know, I've been around for 25 years around this world and uh, haven't seen that much change, unfortunately. No. No, in 25 years. So I hope so. I hope it continues to change. Well, I think it actually got, I think it got more restrictive in 25 years than it was 25 years ago. In California, yeah, Yeah. indeed. Um, But yeah, you know, we just do our practice and see the people we see and, and do the best job we can and keep speaking out loud. Yep. So tell me a little bit about uh, your favorite birth memories from last year. Oh, goodness. You put me on the spot. My favorite birth memories. Yeah, well, you, you've done, you did some of your own first births, right? Yeah, and I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm a spiritual person, so I don't normally talk about that super openly, but um, I feel like uh, I was given exactly the clients and the experiences that I was supposed to have. And some of my first few births in terms of like the, um, what was presenting was, was a little more challenging. (laughs) I mean, I brought a lot of clients to you and kind of got second opinions on women who were measuring small, who would have been induced early at Kaiser. Um, I had a a mom with high blood pressure that you and I did uh, co-care together to a certain extent. Um, And so I just felt like, wow, why am I getting all these more difficult cases? But I think I needed that experience to, you know, really continue yeah, to and develop and I, and I my think confidence. I think you're going to, I don't know why you specifically are getting them, but I think <laughs> we're going to find that we're going to get more and more people with, with sort of what you would call difficult cases, people with, with medical issues and stuff, because they're getting zero choices yeah. in the hospital setting, yeah. which is why my practice is, I mean, I'm, I'm being inundated with twin pregnancies right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year was a, a little bit busier with twins than the year before. Um, 
breaches were busier last year than the year before, but like normal vaginal deliveries <laughs> for me were down significantly because I, I don't ever get those because I, I tend to tell people that, you know, you, I'd love to be there, but you really don't need me. Yeah. And you know that you've gotten some clients that, that interviewed you and interviewed me and they, they chose, and I'm really happy with that. That happens, but, <laughs> but it's really hard sometimes because I would just die to have a grab at a three pair of two who has a two hour labor and pops her baby out. But yeah. you know, instead of the primate breaches that, that I'm dealing with, but I, but I would like to go over some of my numbers because. Can uh, I tell them about the delivery we just did? Sure. <laughs> that. I, the baby was born for an hour and I woke you up. Yep. <laughs> that was awesome. And you woke up and you went, that was the easiest birth I ever did. Yeah. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, we won't tell any details of that birth, but yeah. it was one where the they, they really didn't want, they wanted me in the house, but they didn't want yeah. me in the birth. Yeah. yeah. So you thought, well, why am I going to wake him up <laughs> so he can stand in the hallway Right. While the baby comes out, I'll just, you know, I was sound asleep. It was three o'clock in the morning, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. And if there were any any issues at all in terms of you know what what we could use your skills for, I would have definitely. Yeah, and as a as, as a former resident and uh, on call doctor, you know what we can come up from a deep sleep into action immediately, pretty quickly, because <laughs> you're you're well you're well trained for that. Yeah. yeah. You know, being on call, you know, twenty four seven, three sixty five, you get used to that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, so last year we, I, I, I got to do a little bit of uh, cancer screening in Vietnam. Yeah. And I got my, uh, through the, the blessings and, and charitable uh, uh, donations from so many people that I know and so many people that are anonymous, I collected enough money to buy a breech trainer last year, which I've gotten to use once, or, once this year, Sophie and her mom. That's right. She's the baby. Sophie's yeah, Sophie baby. and her mom mm-hmm. uh, from Australia. And then I have a whole bunch of stuff coming up this year that we'll be talking about on future podcasts of training. I'm going to be in Hawaii next month, and I'm going to Boston uh, in April, and I'm going to be in Lisbon, Portugal in May. That's awesome. And I might be down in our, uh, Alabama or uh, Georgia uh, this summer. Right. So I want to do a lot more teaching. I'm looking forward to that opportunity. It's hard because unless I have some backup person, which may very well happen this year, it's hard for me to get away because yeah. when I have breaches or twins, there's nobody that can support me for that. Yeah. Damn law. Yeah. So last year, because I think people will find this interesting because, you know, what is it like like what an OBGYN does a home birth practice? And last year, tw- there were 45 patients that came into care last year. And I think the year before, there were 51. Mm-hmm. So it's down a little bit. And there were six of those 45 were transferred prior to labor. So we call those a transfer of care. They're not included in the labor statistics because they were transferred for medical problems that arose prior to care. In the previous years, there were things like cholestasis or premature rupture of membranes, that sort of thing. But this year, <laughs> they were all VBAC or twins. And three of the twins had spontaneous rupture of membranes before it was really a good idea to be doing them at home, mm-hmm. like 33, 34, 35 oh, yeah. weeks. Yeah. One, of the twi- one set of twins developed twin-twin transfusion syndrome at 23 weeks. And amazingly, she went and got laser therapy to her placenta to, to laser out the vessel that was communicating between the two twins. So amazing. And she, was a, and she was in the hospital for the rest of her pregnancy, and she made it up to 29 weeks, at which point there was a baby was showing a little signs of not growing well, and she had a cesarean section at 29 weeks for her twins, and they both did great. That's amazing. So that's a save. I mean, that's a huge, huge save. 
And again, it's not, people talk about the risk of twin pregnancy and the risk of twin-twin transfusion syndrome. Yes, that is a risk. But once it's diagnosed, if it's taken care of, that's certainly not a candidate for a home birth. But if they don't have it, to keep bringing it up all the time. And if you don't have it by 25 or 26 weeks, it's very unlikely you're going to see it. And it's not seen in, in die-die twins. It's something that's seen in mono-die twins. Right. And, and, and rarely with the mono-mono twins, which are extremely rare. So then we had uh, two VBACs. One was a uh, type 1 diabetic, and the baby got really big. And we decided that uh, going in to be induced or having a C-section was the best thing for her. And the other one was a VBAC that had really, really uh, severe growth restriction. And you remember this one. She was in Santa Barbara, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And she came down and had an induction at Cedars, and she did great. And yep. she also had a vaginal birth. So not, not everyone who gets transferred gets a cesarean section. Many do. But um, several of these women had, had vaginal birth, which is... Which and is, this was an appropriate use of, of the medical model. Correct. Yes. Right. We screened which, which, and we sent them in when it was appropriate for them to get care. Right. Right. I just wish the medical model would say this was an appropriate use of the home birth model. <laughs> of normal, natural, healthy, but physiological birth. And there are, you know, listen, the, the few few people that we have that, that support us do support what we're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's the random things. It's the, it's the doctors, the anesthesiologists, it's sometimes the NICU people or the other thing who, you know obviously see some problems that come in they see generally they see a skewed view of of the kind of things that happen at home because no, they never see the normal stuff that happens right. at home exactly right so 39 clients went into labor and this year i had uh 21 that were first time moms and 18 that were second time moms so that was a little bit better for me because normally i have about 70 80 percent of my clients are first time moms right so you always have better success rates with with multiparous Women. Yeah, that was almost 50%, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about that is up until this year, I had, of all the breaches I had done, and of all the twins that I had done in women who were multips, I had 100% success rate of vaginal birth at home. Awesome. Until this year. Oh. <laughs> when we had one uh, woman who had a uh, breach vertex twins, uh, one of them ended up weighing a little over seven pounds. The other one was over nine pounds. So she had about 17 pounds of baby inside of her. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, she stalled out at seven centimeters with baby A and never got... Baby A was breech and the smaller one. And it, she never got past seven centimeters. So she obviously had to go in. How long do you wait? Oh, we waited a long time. Yeah? Yeah, eight hours, 10 mm-hmm. hours. Yeah. Tried different things. Tried resting her. Tried walking her. Tried, you know, herbs and things that you guys... All, all know better than me. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it was. I was really surprised. It was very, very. You know, I, it was probably very disappoint, much more disappointing for them. But it was very disappointing for the birth team because there was no reason that I would expect that to happen. Now, clearly, you can't have a hundred percent success rate forever. Right. But it's fun while not? it lasts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So the real issue comes with the primips, and the success rate of primips is is obviously less. And, of course, most of my primips are breaches or twins mm-hmm. as well. So we'll get into that in just a second. All right? So 32 of the 39 women delivered vaginally. And we had seven C-sections. So the, the vaginal delivery rate was 82%, which is a lot lower than my previous years, which was, which was over 90%. Right. All right. And my home delivery rate was only 72%. So 28% of people got transferred from home. But that's, again, 
I have a skewed population because I'm seeing more twins and breaches, and those people are more likely to stall. Their labors seem seem like they're more likely to stall out. Um, I can't say why, uh, but I think that there is pretty good convincing anecdotal evidence that when a twin labor or a breach labor stalls out, that potentially a cesarean section is the best choice for them. Because the ones that have ended up getting Pitocin and Epidural and Pitocin, some of those babies have had not such good outcomes. Yeah. And they've ended up needing emergency interventions or the babies have gone to the NICU. Uh, so unlike with cephalic babies, head down babies, where where if they stall out, a lot of them will do be successful by going in and finally getting their epidural and getting some Pitocin and they'll have a vaginal delivery and they can still be assisted with a vacuum if necessary, that sort of thing. Um, if it's a breach or twin, they often end up, well, first of all, they don't really have a choice these I was days. I say they're probably not as patient with giving those options. Well, twins, those that, yeah, twins no one's going to be patient with and breaches yeah. no one's going to do. Right. 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 So sort of, sort of limited, but, that, but it, there is a reason for that. Oh, I should I should backtrack for a second. Um, last year was a was a good year because uh, Rick Safries and I submitted a a paper for publication. It's been four months now in the peer review process. I think they're having a hard time finding people <laughs> who can legitimately peer review our paper. But it's uh, it's it's uh, called the um, breach home birth option, mm-hmm. and there is it would be the largest series published in the mo- in modern times. On home breach birth, we took we have sixty breach deliveries uh, compared to one hundred nine cephalic. Are those all your deliveries? All mine. Uh-huh. Yeah. So one practitioner, one model of care, uh, and we we were going to compare. And when it gets published, then I'll do a whole podcast. Who's Rick Safries? Rick Safries uh, is a researcher. She's a PhD who lives, I think, in Ohio. Who uh, has the Stand and Deliver blog? If you've ever read it. For those people that haven't, you should go to standanddeliver.com, I believe it is, and you should read her blog when she writes it. She writes excellent stuff, and she's so precise. She's so well-researched. She would not put out a piece of paper like what like this hospital did that <laughs> said uh, home birth is dangerous with no references. Mm-hmm. I mean, in my paper, I think I had, when I submitted it to her for her uh, collaboration, I think I had like 30 references, and we ended up with 58. <laughs> wow. Uh, she's doing a. Uh, she's actually doing the summary on the entire world breach literature in other in other languages and other things, and she's putting this all together. That's one big project she's working. Is on. Is there a reason why she's inspired about breach? You know, uh, there Some probably is. I'm drawing a blank mm-hmm. on it right now. Okay. Interesting. Um, yeah, Rixa, send me an email. Rixa. R i x a. Okay, Rixa. And her last name is Freeze. F r e e z e. Great name, isn't it? Yeah, it it is. Yeah, I think it's a real name, too. (laughs) So I had four vacuums last year. Uh, All four of those were midwife patients Mm -hmm. who I'd never met before. Oh, you just went in for the vacuum. Who called me to come in for a vacuum. So that Mm -hmm. skews my, you know, my operative deliveries up. And I say this every year, right? But the fact that I can go and and give people confidence or or save people from from being transported... Mm -hmm is a thing that I'm very proud of. Yeah. I also do some repairs when people have a second or third degree, I mean, a th- excuse me, a third or fourth degree tear or maybe a bad labial tear that, that uh, seems to be out of the comfort zone of the midwife. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can come to do, do some of those as well. I see a lot of consults in the office uh, for ultrasound, for reassurance, for growth, for um, 
second opinions because these people have seen other maternal fetal medicine doctors who've sort of scared the bejeebers, whatever those are, out of people. I <laughs> <laughs> have to look that up. You have to Google bejeebers and see what that is. Maybe I'll have producer John. John, yeah, tell me what a bejeebers is, would you? Don't think All right, that. anyway. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, and it, it really is just a way of talking to people and, and not being scared. Like, uh, for instance, we did a VBAC recently together, and she told us a story how after her first C-section, when she got to nine centimeters and never progressed any further, that her female doctor... All right. So it's not just males. It's female doctor told her that she will probably never be able to deliver vaginally. Yeah. Okay. Now you and I looked at each other. We talked about this before, and said even if she thought that, which is a stupid thing to think. Right. Why would you say it? Right. Well, you know, I was told that I probably would never be able to deliver at home. I had a forcep delivery with my first delivery, and this was with a midwife that said this to me. So, and I know it wasn't malintent. I think maybe it's just like feeling like you're preparing them to not get their hopes up or something like that. I don't know why you would do that, but I, I don't necessarily know that there's a malintent behind it. I think it's just that you feel like that's the truth. But, and it might be because they section, they pretty much section anybody who's already had a cesarean. So they don't necessarily believe in VBACs or they don't support VBACs. So they haven't, they don't. So, they're, so, they're, that. so, they're, so the baby's barely uh, an hour old and they're grooming the woman to have a repeat C-section. Exactly. Don't get your, don't get your hopes up. Just, just prepare yourself for the inevitable kind yeah. of thing. But and, yeah, it's awful. And you know, and when you take a woman who's a Mormon or like I'm communicating with a woman in Arizona who's a Mormon and she had a two vaginal deliveries and then in her third baby she had a footling breach and she had a cesarean section. And then she was young and didn't know any better and she had a second and a third and a fourth cesarean section. Mm-hmm. She has six kids and she wants more kids. Mm-hmm. All right. That's a, that's another topic, but <laughs> I respect you know that's her that's choice. her belief and that's your choice. Mm-hmm. Mormons, Orthodox Jews, uh, you know they tend to you know generally want lots and lots of kids. Quiver, I think there's something called quiver folk. They're like Christian. They believe that they're supposed to have as many babies as possible because they're all like descendant of God or something. You heard? Of well, that? we are. Well, their right. babies particularly. Oh, oh no, I have not heard of that. <laughs> yeah. Nonetheless. So uh, she's not pregnant again for the seventh time yet, but we've been communicating back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, to me, the person that did her repeat C-section, the se- second C-section, uh, you know, should be brought to the punishment room. It's negligent. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. not informing her of her choice. Right. 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 She feels negligent for not seeking out her choices, but, you know, when you're naive and you're in your early 20s, you know, even though it's your, <laughs> it's your fourth kid, <laughs> But, you know, most people don't know. Yeah, but isn't that our job to give give our clients true informed consent about what their options it's are? It's your job. I don't think that some physicians think it's their job. I think physicians think it's their job is, is safety. Mm. Safety over autonomy. You know, it's one of those tenets in, in, uh, in, when you talk about liberty. You know, every time you in, enforce safety, you diminish liberty. And the question of whether I want to be more safe or more free... Really, in an, Ameri- in an American world, and we're relatively unique as a country this way, belongs to the individual. You know, a lot of countries don't have that option. Right. They're very totalitarian. Right. But we have, in, the, in this country, we still have, the, from the founding, we still have the ability to decide 
whether I want to be safe or I want to be free. Mm-hmm. You know, and we can do things that are reckless because we choose to do them. And, and that could be, you know, uh, you know, skiing uh, down a mountainside or whatever, you know, on a, you jumping know, out of an airplane, jumping out of a helicopter or jumping, you know, and skiing, mm-hmm. helicopter skiing, that sort of stuff. I mean, some people do end up breaking their necks. They get an avalanche, they die. Um, but I would never want to live in a country that outlawed those things. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't know. All right. So then uh, of the, um, we had 11 transports. Well, we had nine breach deliveries last year. Uh, again, when I talk so much about breach, nine doesn't sound like a lot. Yeah. Okay. But it's probably nine more than the 99% of physicians in the country did. All right. So that's the thing. We had nine that were successful. Then we had a, a several that transferred. We had, I think there were, there were one or two that transported prior to labor. And then there were one, two, three, four, five, six, six breaches that transported in labor. So nine of 15 delivered successfully, which is, again, a little lower than it's been. Usually my breach success rate's been in the 80s, like 82, 83, 84%. And you said most of those is because the um, labor stalled. So yeah, well, I'm going I'm, I can re- I'm gonna go through them because oh, I think okay. it's, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the transports. There were 11 of them. First one was breach, VBAC, and out-of-control hypertension. Yeah. And this woman, she was so determined, she ended up going to a military hospital because that was she was in the military. And she ended up getting a vaginal breach delivery, a VBAC vaginal breach delivery in a military hospital. So kudos to, her. to the people at Camp Pendleton. Mm-hmm. They probably were shitting in the <laughs> shitting a brick, but because their blood pressure was really really high, and they they but see I can't control that at home. Uh, she had hypertension, and we knew that, but it was well controlled. But when she was in labor, and we have another one, we had another one like that as well, um, who was a VBAC after two C sections, who had his blood pressure was like one seventy over one twenty in labor, and she ended up transporting to Doctor Chavira who got her blood pressure under control. And actually, they didn't really have to do that much for her. And she had her VBAC after two C-sections in the hospital setting. So fortunately, we have doctors like Dr. Javira uh, that we can send uh, people to in, in our little community. I wish there was more like that. Yeah, they're just not teaching confidence. They're not teaching uh, um, you know, ethical, informed consent and, and supporting women in their choices. They just don't teach that anymore. And then the doctors are trained in an in a element of fear. And so they just don't have the confidence. Yeah. And then, of course, when you read stuff like the thing I read at the beginning about how dangerous home birth is, and that's how the, what the hospital believes, enough to put it in their packet, then, I mean, that's the, that's the culture that, that exists in a hospital. I was recently talking to a NICU physician, an NICU physician, and we were talking about fetal monitoring. And he said, you don't monitor continuously. I said, no. And he said, well, in, in certain cases, that would be very helpful. And I go, yeah, in certain cases, it would be very detrimental, too. Right. The C-section rate is, is you know, three, four, five times higher in a hospital setting. And a lot of it's contributed to fetal monitoring. There's a, there was a great study that came out that showed that fetal monitoring does nothing to de- decrease cerebral palsy. But the only thing it actually did was increase the cesarean section rate because and, people get nervous. And nothing's changed. They still do it exactly the same way in the hospital. And they and, and they still, when they get an outcome that wasn't necessarily great at home, they say, well, if we would have had fetal monitoring, this wouldn't have happened. But you know what? You have really bad outcomes that happen in the hospital all the time, and you have continuous fetal monitoring. So I just, I just, you know, when a bad outcome happens in the hospital, it's nobody's fault. Right. When a bad outcome happens at home, it's it's we could have prevented it. Well, a couple of years ago, we transported a perfectly stable 
mom and baby to the hospital. And after we left the hospital, that's when she was on the monitor, a continuous fetal monitor, and had serious D-cells and no one was paying attention. So, you know, even even in a situation like that, sometimes it, things slip through and we we weren't having any issues at home. Yeah, but you don't, you know, you don't want to fight anecdotal arguments with anecdotal arguments. Mm-hmm. But that's how they argue with us or they, they debate. I guess it's not even debate. It's a discussion. Debate you're trying to win. It's a discussion. Um, but they, uh, their discussion includes anecdotal stories. But we have just as many anecdotal stories to tell them about there, but they don't want to hear those things. It's just a, <laughs> it's a tough situation. Okay. The second one, uh, the transport, was a woman who had four previous cesarean sections, and she was in early labor, and she just had pain, and she wanted to go in. It wasn't the kind of pain that I was concerned about for... Um, dehiscence. Dehiscence, correct, mm-hmm. thank you. Mm-hmm. But it was pain, that, and, and so she ended up getting epidural and a repeat C-section. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we had a, a breach that arrested at six centimeters. We had a breach that arrested at seven centimeters. A, bre- a floating breach that we re- uh, a footling breach that arrested at five. Didn't arrest at five centimeters, but checked her at five centimeters. And there's a bulging bag of waters and no presenting part. And they quickly put a scanner out and, uh, on her, and there was a, a foot down low. So, so she went. So, so we, remind me again of of what the danger is in that one. Well, if the membranes rupture, uh, the, the, the foot the partially, through a partially dilated cervix, mm-hmm. a foot or cord could come falling out because there's nothing blocking. Why can't you do feet? Tell me why, why that is well, an issue. If I a woman cord, shows up obviously. completely dilated and the feet are sticking out of the vagina, you can do that. But mm-hmm. the worry when you have a footling with an incompletely dilated cervix and all that fluid is that when it ruptures, the, the, there's nothing blocking the cervix like a butt or a head to prevent the cord from falling out. Oh, it's still the cord. So it's a cord prolapse sort Uh of thing. And then also when the feet are sticking out first, when it's a true footling breach, then the dilating wedge of the hips is not really wide enough where you'd be more concerned about head entrapment. At least least in my mind, the diagram in my mind, you could see how the body, if a baby comes out with its feet straight down, is could come out of a cervix that's only eight centimeters dilated. Right. But the head needs complete dilatation, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Uh, we had a set of breech vertex twins. I mentioned that earlier, who rested at seven centimeters. Um, we had a 42-weeker who just desired pain relief. Uh, and she got a vaginal, she got an epidural and a vaginal birth. So that was two this year. Is that Have you had those in previous years? Two what? Two women who went in for pain relief. Not very often. Yeah. Me neither. Yeah. It doesn't happen very often. But they usually come in threes. <laughs> Right. I don't have a third one yet, but but yeah, I mean those things happen. Yeah. Of just like in just, just like wondered. in seven years I hadn't had a multip who hadn't been successful with her breach mm-hmm. or twin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's probably rare. I could have had my very first one could have been a C section. In, instead of my last one or not the last one, but one last year. Right. Um then we had a, then we had a, a, a case. It was a tough call because this was a woman who got to eight centimeters, she was a V back and she was breech. And at eight centimeters she ruptured her membranes and the thickest Chili sized pea soup meconium mm-hmm. came out. And it wasn't your typical breech meconium, which is like, you know, green toothpaste. Mm-hmm. It was, um, you know, like the baby had really. So, because of the thick meconium, we had the conversation and we decided we were going to go to the hospital just because Better that's say. what midwives do. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, and, and there's, a, there's a reason for it. And even though 
the conium isn't necessarily a reason to have to suction a baby or do anything else these days. It just seemed like we weren't sure that everything was going to be okay. So we went to the hospital and she ended up having a C-section. By the time she got there, she was completely dilated. But the, and the doctor was a really nice doctor up in Ventura. And she just said, I don't have the confidence to do a breech delivery. So she did a C-section mm-hmm. on her. Repeat. You're like, well, let me just do it. You just, yeah. just give me privilege. Give me just temporary privileges. Stay on the side and yeah. Yeah, I know. And then we had um, a, another another uh, VBAC with twins who uh, got to complete dilatation and then got sudden, sharp, constant suprapubic pain. Mm-hmm. Very concerning. This woman was well educated, and I suggested that you know this could be the scar starting to separate. The heart rates on the twins were fine, and she said, no, "I want to go." And she went, and they did a section on her, and they didn't find any dehiscence. So it was really hard to explain, and it was too, really too bad because she was vertex vertex twins. And with, she got to choose. But she made the choice, mm-hmm. correct? That's why I love you. <laughs> I do. I love that you th- that you add that because you keep because otherwise I get sad. Yeah, but it is always the mom's right to choose. I have a mom right now who um, came into care late. She's a prime up, and she called me yesterday. She's having cold feet. She just doesn't know. She's getting pressure from her family. Someone called her up and told her some crazy story, and she said, you know, if something does happen, my family would never forgive me. And I said, yeah, and if something happened in the hospital, it would be totally different for you, right? And she said, yeah. I said, I get it. And it's sad for me, too, but ultimately, it's her choice. It's her birth. It's, you know, her experience, her journey. And I told her, I said, I'm not going to talk you into a home birth. I'm here to support your journey, whatever it is. Yeah, but, but, but the sad part about that is that if this had happened 80 years ago, then the family would never have been unsupportive of her choice of a home birth. Of course. The reason they're unsupportive is because is because they've been indoctrinated to believe that home birth is dangerous and hospital birth is safe. And so we have we have to work within that culture. It's very difficult. Right. And then, of course, I just made, I, I made a boo-boo because here is number three. Uh, oh. This was a primip who was Vertex who desired pain relief. There you go. So you're so, done. Yeah. 2018. Yeah, I'm done for the next, <laughs> uh, next six or seven years. Yeah, I had three women during labor this year who desired, desired an epidural. Mm-hmm. And then the other one was a VBAC after two with hypertension who I mentioned earlier. So, so, and so seven, uh, 11 of those people transferred, four got vaginal births. Okay. And... Uh, one got a vaginal birth because of a great option from a local physician. One got a vaginal birth because she yelled at the people at, uh, not yelled, but she insisted the people at the military hospital leave her alone. That's the one you talked about first, right? Right. And mm-hmm. the other two, you know, both got epidurals and, and, and Pitocin were head down and did fine. So uh, overall, that that's, uh, you know, a C-section rate of 17.9% is double my normal C-section rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may, uh, we'll see how it goes in this year. I mean, again, you can't, you can't do statistics based on a small sample size. Um, but even a 17.9% C-section rate, considering all the breaches and twins and V-backs that I see is still pretty good. Yeah. And you said you had more of those this year, right? I got, yeah. Well, yeah. I've got tons of twins lined up this yeah, year. Yeah. And last year ended on a very sweet, well, two sweet notes. One is we had a set of twins that came from, um, Colorado. That was a great birth. Yep. And she had uh, a water birth with twin A mm-hmm. and then a land birth with twin B. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were both head down, right? Yes. Yeah, they were both head down. Mm-hmm. And that's a great story because she went to 41 weeks, I think. And, um, you know, she came here at 35, 36 weeks. She lived in Aspen, Colorado, didn't have any choices. 
there nobody not even down down the hill would would allow her to have her twins the way she wanted to have her twins she was a multip she'd already had a baby once before and so they moved out here they got a airbnb or they rented a house or however they did it and they stayed down here for six weeks i guess six for second s- colorado twin couple yep. that did that and and went longer than they thought both of them did, ended up being in la for a lot longer than they thought that's true mm-hmm. and then we ended up on christmas day i ended up having a, a beautiful uh, home birth uh uh vaginal uh, home vbac up in santa barbara mm-hmm. the you know which is the vbac is the antichrist up there and thank god the fires had died down so you could yeah it was get really there. interesting it was really interesting driving there because you it smelled like burnt everything smelled burnt and you could see along the whole coastline all the way up through Conchita and, and uh, uh, Carpinteria and all the, just all the lovely hillsides burnt out. And even the fire had jumped over the freeway and the houses along the beach in, uh, in north of Ventura, um, obviously they were never, uh, they, none of them burned down, but mm-hmm. there you could see that here you're living on the ocean and you're worried about a forest fire. And now this week they had mudslides. And the mudslides are, are <laughs> terrible. So. So sorry for all that's going on up there. That's classic California stuff, though. I know. Burns down and then the rains come. Yeah, yeah. Happens all the time. All right, well, listen, we're just about out of time. I just wanted people to understand that I'm I am really grateful. I'm really honored to have found this profession, uh, this p- part of my profession. And I would not be able to do this without all the people that support me, my staff at my office, you, Beth, Katie, Catalina, mm-hmm. uh all the other midwives that send me clients that trust me to do what I do. Um, We're grateful for you and our community for sure. Thank you. I, yeah. I'm going to try really hard this year to do some teaching. Uh, I, uh, I want to continue to do births, but I would like also to, you know, I'm hoping to get some help because if I can get some help, we can start to spread the word. I, I don't know what's going to happen in California this year. I don't know what's going to go on in Sacramento. There's going to probably be some more attempts to restrict choices and we're going to have to be fighting those sorts of things. But, you know, we're ready. We're ready. I think that uh, people are mobilized. And I hope that our, our own birth community can come together this year to uh, advocate on behalf of the women of, uh, of California and the women of America and the women of the world uh, that birth isn't this horrible, dangerous thing and uh, that women deserve <laughs> to have the birth that they, you know, that they want. And uh, liberty, I guess I, I just go back to, to safety and liberty is a, is a personal choice. Always. Yeah. 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 So any last words? Well, do, no. I just love coming up here and doing this. Every time I think like, oh, I'm not prepared. And then we just have a great conversation. And it's, it's awesome. So thanks for inviting me to be your co-host this year. Yeah. Well, it's nice having you. And it's nice having that perspective. Because you know things and you see things. And you've been in the birth world a really long time. And you've seen it from every different side. Yeah. I love this part. I'm really loving my work so much. So Well, I know you do. And I, I, yeah. I see your Facebook posts and I see your advocate. And you are a spiritual person. You put it out there. Uh, you know, I'm much more of a, a private when it comes to that sort of thing. But yeah. you put it out there and you're very good at what you do. And, and I think your clients are really lucky to have you. Ditto. Ditto, ditto. ditto. Here's to oh. 2018. Speaking Look. of ditto, I just watched Ghost last night. It was on TV. Oh, <laughs> pretty funny anyway this has been Dr. Stu's podcast number 123 it's sort of we've been sitting and reminiscing about uh, some of the things that happened last year in the birth world Uh, we've left out a lot because we don't have that much time but we hope you've enjoyed it we hope you'll listen we hope you share our podcast you can find us on Facebook 
Find us on iTunes. Uh, like us at Dr. Stu. Uh, like us on iTunes and find us at drstuspodcast.com. You can write me at askdrstu at gmail.com. That's A-S-K-D-R-S-T-U at gmail.com. Or you can write to bliss at birthingblissbliss.com. Let us know what you want to talk about. See you next time. Bye-bye.